Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-hosts, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Diarty Edwards. Maria, of course, is the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline is the former admissions director of NCOD and a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. We're going to talk today about employment. Obviously, people go to MBA programs in part to enhance the opportunities in their careers for greater pay and greater responsibility and influence. And we can tell you that it's been an incredible job market for MBAs this year. And it's looking like we're heading into another great year as well. One school after another is reporting record pay and signing bonuses for their graduates as well as record or near-record placement rates, both at graduation and three months later. And, you know, we all know that there is a labor shortage in the U.S., but oftentimes we think of a labor shortage in the terms of those low-cost jobs at McDonald's and Starbucks and other places. But in fact, the demand for MBA talent and the people who are graduating specialty master's degrees is so great right now that it's there's clearly a, a demand for uh, highly talented young people as well. Caroline, what, what do you make of this? What, what does this tell us about the enduring value of the MBA and, you know, the ROI on it? Yeah, it, it says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, it's great news that the economy is doing well and rebounded faster than than people had thought 12 months ago and, and um, that the recruiting market is so strong. And as you say, it says a lot about the, the value that employers place on the MBA. And, you know, periodically we discuss the criticism that come up, comes up in the media of business schools and the MBA and, you know, people who say, that it's, it's not worth as much as people think, but the proof is in the pudding, right? And, and it's the proof is what people are willing to, to pay for that credential and, and the experience and, and the skills that people build during the programs. And the fact that recruiters are coming back every single year and you know recruiting in such vast numbers and, and willing to pay such a premium for those graduates, that says more than anything else about the value of, of the degree. And, you know, the, the, the students are seeing a, a tremendous bump in their salary when you look at what people are earning before the program and then what they're earning when they graduate. You know, I, I think it's the, isn't it the degree program that generates the, um, the best return on investment and the fastest payback? Yes. So, so excellent news. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's somewhat paradoxical though, isn't it? Because it's great news for, for the business schools and for the students Um, But it also means that um, there may be a downturn in applications coming because the job market is so strong and there may be a decrease in the pipeline of people applying to business schools because the the candidates who might otherwise apply are are also getting job offers and promotions. So it's it's a somewhat paradoxical picture for business schools that whilst job markets are very strong, Sometimes um, it's it, things are tighter on the um, on the incoming pipeline, and when there's a surge of applications, it's often more difficult to place those um, those students. So it's a it's a somewhat um, paradoxical situation. Yeah, that's really true. Usually, uh, application volume is countercyclical to the economy, and as the economy goes strong, applications go down. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when the this current application period is over, 
Will things be flat? Will they be down? I know in round one, a number of schools were reporting uh, fairly significant increases in their applications. Maria, what do you make of these salary numbers? And and I bet you, you wish you graduated <laughs> with your MBA now as opposed to then. I wish I were 20 nine years old in general <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are too. many reasons there are many too. reasons i wish i were you are 29 years old you are Come right on. caroline you're right i will venmo you i will venmo you the money uh that i'm going to pay you to say that yeah no of course i wish i wish i were graduating now you know i think i think reports of MBA career opportunity death have been greatly exaggerated. Um, I got a real kick out of, you know, that four days ago, the Wall Street Journal published an article that was titled MBA starting salaries are soaring. And a little over a year ago, they published uh, an article that was like, MBAs are usually swimming in job offers by now, but not this year. (laughs) Um, And so I just feel like the media, like we've talked about this so many times where like the business media where the writers are themselves don't often have MBAs really love yeah. to bash on the MBA when it's down. They love to kick it whenever there's even a shred of bad news. Um, but I think, you know, as, as Caroline said, the fact that these employment numbers have come, come roaring back to where they, they have been in the past, the fact that the salaries are in fact going up a little, I, I, think, it's, I think it's great news and continues to be an enduring testament to the value of this degree. Yeah, definitely. Now, we have yet to see the reports from Harvard and Stanford or Columbia. Harvard and Columbia will come out before the end of November. Stanford tends to hold off until early January because they graduate um, a bit later than the other schools. But if you look at some of these reports, they're pretty, pretty impressive. Okay, Wharton basically found that by late summer, nearly all of the school's graduates seeking jobs were working or had received offers of work. There was 99% offer rate after three months, a new school record. Over at MIT, there was a big increase in other compensation, which some schools have now stopped reporting. But this is revealing because other compensation is often a carrot dangled in front of MBA graduates to get them to take an offer. Uh, the median went from 11,000 other comp to 34,000. Overall, that contributed to an 8.5% jump in total compensation to 195,600 uh, at MIT Sloan. Chicago Booth also saw median salaries and bonuses increase, uh, leading to overall compensation of 178,000 plus, uh, up about 5% uh, over the uh, previous year. Uh, Kellogg today, in fact, uh, gave a little glimpse of its numbers, and they reported that basically 97% of the graduates had job offers three months after graduation, which is up from 95%. Meeting and starting salaries uh, jumped 6000 bucks to $150,000. And if you add in the um, bonuses, that comes to one seventy five eight hundred. That's pretty good money for someone uh, who's you know could be twenty eight, twenty nine, maybe thirty. Um, there aren't a lot of people in the world who uh, make that kind of money, uh, no matter what age they are. Uh, to be making that kind of money at twenty eight to thirty uh, is really a big chunk of change, and of course, that's just a start. Oftentimes, we value these programs on the basis of the starting uh, pay numbers, but the truth is that the long-term 
benefits of the MBA are far more important than what you get when you graduate. Uh, right, Caroline? Yeah, that, that's right. And, um, you know, schools do survey alumni, um, uh, you know, three years out and often later on, um, often when the schools invite alumni back for reunions, you know, they'll survey the alumni and ask a bunch of questions to sort of understand how their careers have evolved and so on. And um, yeah, I mean, that that um, it, it continues to pay off, as you say. Um, and I think, you know, the payoff is not just financial, um, although that's a big part of it. I think, you know, in terms of life satisfaction and career satisfaction, you also see um, very good data as well, because it gives people options, right? Um, you don't have to stay stuck in a job if you're not enjoying it and you're not happy there. Um, it opens doors, not just when you graduate, but um, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Um, it gives you the credibility to knock on the door of an employer who might not have otherwise considered you. And also you have access to that you know, amazing network of people who are ready to help you um, if you need help with, with a career change, career switch. So, um, so you know, it, it is something that has tremendous long-term value, both financial and in terms of um, you know, general satisfaction with with how your career is evolving. Yeah, you know, one of, one of the intriguing uh, things that I've seen over the course of covering business schools is Harvard Business School, you know, when they have reunions, they often survey their classmates and then deliver a report. And of course, these reports are, are, are private and confidential and meant only for the classmates. A number of years ago, I got hold of one uh, for the 25th anniversary reunion uh, of a given class. And what you see is just remarkable detail on uh, the success of people with uh, an MBA 25 years after they graduate from Harvard Business School. Uh, Maria, have, have, you, uh, have you had your 25th anniversary yet? I've gone from being 29 years old to now being <laughs> 25 years out. <laughs> like no Venmo no like, for John. There's like a picture of Dorian Gray that's just like bouncing all over somewhere in my house. No, I have not had my 25th reunion yet. And actually, the news of this report is is actually, I have to admit, news to me. So Oh. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I, I, maybe they've been, do, maybe they only do it for the 25th. Maybe they do it for all of them. And I just have not paid attention. Um, well, let me, let me say this uh, for those who want to look this up. I, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. And I love the headline, love, sex, and money, a revealing class portrait of the lies of Harvard MBAs. You might find yourself in that story, Maria. Wow. That is a, that is a click-worthy yeah. oh, and, and it's totally worthy of the story. So I know. I, yes, of course. What I did is I had, a, I had a friendly member of the class of 1986 drop this report on me 25 years later. Here's what it said. The median annual income of a class of 86 MBA was $350,000. Uh, slightly more than one in four class members reported annual income of one million or more, while eight percent of the class said they earned more than five million last year. The median net worth of a member of the class was six million dollars, but that number really only tells a small part of the story because nineteen percent of the class reported net worth between twenty million and one hundred million, and about four percent of the class said their personal net worth exceeded a hundred million dollars. Now here's. Here's really some of the cool stuff, all right? Are you ready for this? 
Some 18% dated someone they met online, but only 3% of the class married the person they met on the internet or by some other commercial means. Get that. What is that another commercial means? I don't know. Hold up. Hold up. Listen Maybe that's where people are making $100 million. Maybe they set up that commercial means, quote unquote, <laughs> business, and, and uh, that's how they made their money. <laughs> some 14% of the class is divorced and another 1% separated. About 5% divorced and remarried. The class of 1986 wasn't into the bar scene. Only 3% of the class met their spouses at bars. Some 6% said they met in the party and 4% met randomly on a plane. What are they tracking this? What is, yeah, this is very. This incredible detail. I wonder what the science, like we need it for science. It's very important for our information. This is all about business analytics, okay? Yeah, whew. About 21% met their spouses at their undergraduate schools, while 14% found their spouses at Harvard Business School. How about that? Yeah. About one in five have skydived, while one in three <laughs> completed the marathon. Here, here's one for the oh. people who have, well, shoe fetishes. One in, four, one in four own 25 or more pairs of shoes. That's 58% of the women and 15% of the men. Now, does this story deliver on love, sex, and money? It Come really on. It really does. You did that's an excellent fun. job. Yeah. yeah that's, you got to uh, look it up. But, but really, the, the main point here is long-term uh, MBAs pay. And yeah, this is only a glimpse at one particular class at Harvard Business School, admittedly, you know, the school that, that where people do very well when they graduate from. But nonetheless, I think it's very revealing and it's symbolic of what MBAs across the, the best schools do experience. And, you know, to Maria's point, it's not only getting the job that pays well, it's getting the job that, that gives you fulfillment, personal fulfillment, personal development. Uh, and it's a job that you can pour yourself into and really enjoy. This is not, actually, it's not even a job. It's, it's a career and you're learning all the time. And, I think that's really what's not captured in the employment reports that are coming out now, as, as cool as the numbers are. There are in these reports, of course, the percentages of people who choose different fields, whether they be consulting or finance or technology or healthcare or other consumer packaged goods, media and entertainment and things like that. Obviously, what we're seeing yet again is, look, the most lucrative careers you can pursue are largely in hedge funds and private equity, followed pretty closely by consulting. I mean, if you can land a job at one of the top consulting firms, uh, your starting pay is going to be 165 to 170 with a 30 to $35,000 sign-on bonus uh, right off the bat. And um, I was making the point earlier in our pre-discussion uh, that if you look historically at the MBA, uh, what you find is that the actual number of graduates from, let's say, the top 25 schools in the world hasn't changed all that much over the years. Yeah, it's increased a little bit, but not a whole lot. Meantime, student choices have, have changed dramatically. There are more people going into jobs like hedge funds and private equity firms. Uh, there are more people going into early stage companies and startups. And what that all means is that many of the mainstream uh, recruiters of MBAs, companies like McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and Deloitte, and companies like uh, you know Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, 
uh, which actually didn't even exist before. But they've kind of replaced, to some degree, the IBMs and um, Procter and Gamble's in a way. Although obviously IBM and Procter and Gamble still recruit MBAs, but there's actually a smaller supply of MBAs from those top schools available to mainstream uh, recruiters, and uh, and I think that that bodes well for the future because the need for really smart, ambitious people who can make a difference in the world of work isn't going down; it's only going up. And B schools tend to have a disproportionate share of them. So, to the extent that that more of those graduates are allured, seduced by PE hedge funds, startups, and early stage companies, and fewer are going into those mainstream MBA jobs, that bodes well because there is less of them, and there's a greater need for them. Maria, do you think that's true? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I love about pouring through data like this is that, you know, we have said over and over again on this podcast that the rankings are not nearly as life or death important as some people unfortunately make them out to be. And some of this data just proves that out. So for example, if you look at uh, the percentage of people who go into consulting between Wharton, MIT Booth, and Ross, you know, you're looking at high 20% to mid 30%, you know, 27%, 28%, 35%. And the salaries are essentially identical, right? If you yes. if you go into consulting out of Ross, you're making the same amount of money as if you go into consulting out of Wharton. And so it's just, it's so interesting to me sometimes the psychology of the rankings where people say things like, oh my gosh, I got into a school that's ranked fourth and I like it more, but I also got into a school that's ranked second and I don't like it as much, but it's ranked second versus fourth. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Go where you, <laughs> go where you, you know, first of all, where you think you'll be happier, but also, if you want one of the uh, sort of the typical big feeder jobs like consulting um, technology and technology, especially, you can get those opportunities from top 10, top 15 schools, pretty much identical opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, we, I have, we all have clients, former clients that are now at the Amazons of the world, you know, whether they went to Ross or they went to Harvard, they're now working together uh, in the same product management jobs. So I think that that overall, if you want to go into one of those big feeder uh, destinations, then I think keep your eyes on the prize and say, well, that's, that's the end goal. So I am not going to obsess and lose sleep over the rankings. That having been said, on the flip side, there are certain fields that are absolutely mostly or primarily available to the top schools. But I think that's a matter of a chicken and egg situation. So, for example, about 14 and a half percent of the class at Wharton went into either private equity or venture capital. And only about one and a half percent of the class at Ross did, if I looked up this data correctly. So that's a pretty big percentage. And you might say like, oh, well, then in that case, I shouldn't go to a place like Ross. However, I'm guessing that a significant percentage of the class entering into Wharton already had either some sort of private equity or relevant venture capital. So I think that that's, you know, that becomes sort of a chicken and egg. And I think the, the final point I want to make also is that if you are interested in more of a niche type of a job like media and entertainment or real estate, really, you know, now it's not about digging into rankings at all, really dig into those placement percentages. So just to take real estate as an example, MIT had less than 1% of its graduates, you know, 0.7% of its graduates going to real estate. Wharton had 2.1. So it's a three times, if you just look at the percentages, 
three times higher of a percentage <laughs> of people yeah. went into real estate. So if real estate is your passion, don't just look at the top tippy top schools by the overall rankings. Look at a Columbia, look at a Wharton. And again, just keep your eyes on the prize. Similarly with media and entertainment, I, until I'm blue in the face, I talk to people who are like, I really want to work for Netflix. I really want to work for Disney. And uh, I want to work. And I'm like, great, go to UCLA or USC. And they're like, well, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't understand like how, not just in terms of post-graduation jobs, but to Caroline's point you know, earlier, there are so many alumni <laughs> of USC and UCLA all over Hollywood that it's you know for years, for decades to come, going to one of those schools is, is a pretty good bet. So anyway, the data just sort of, I think, backs up things that we have been preaching from the mountaintops yeah. for many, many sessions now. That's really true. And talking about career choice, I wonder, you know, Caroline, do you think it's it's often said, okay, you want to go into consulting, you go to NCI, you want to go into finance, you go to London Business School, but it's not that simple, is it? Oh, no, it's not. And, you know, the, the data shows that, as you said, um, graduates have a tremendous choice of employers. And I'm sure that you know, whilst we see the, these wonderful numbers, I'm sure that many of those students had multiple offers that they were choosing from. You know, in, in times like this, it's not just that, you know, the, the the tide has risen and they're getting, you know, increased salary offers. It's that the recruiters are competing more to get those um, graduates to accept the offer because the, the, those graduates are getting multiple offers. So, you know, you, you have a multitude of options. I mean, that's a wonderful thing about going to business school is it just gives you credibility to interview with recruiters who would just not otherwise have considered you at all. And so many different paths become open um, because of that, that that springboard that you're given um, to, to a new future. And, and so, you know, and, and sometimes it's easier to stand out. You know, people think, oh, you have to go to London Business School if you're looking at international school to go into finance. But, you know, if everybody thinks that, right, the competition to land a job in finance at London Business School is going to be greater than if you're trying to get into investment banking from INSEAD, for example. So, so um, you know, sometimes it's better to be in an environment where not everyone is trying to do the same thing and, and it's easier to actually distinguish yourself. Now, what advice do you have for people who are basically um, deciding uh, between or among uh, different offers at schools? And they look at the employment report to help make their choice. I mean, what should what should they, in fact, be looking at in those employment reports? Because you can make the argument, and this goes back to what Maria was saying. Sure, if you want to want to go into venture capital, private equity, or hedge funds, I think those are very exclusive kinds of positions. They are, you know, onesie twosie kind of recruiting uh, opportunities for organizations usually involving an independent job search of some kind. And there are schools that are known for that, like Stanford, like Wharton, like Columbia, Harvard, Chicago to some extent. But for other, other things, I mean, how do, you, how do you read an employment report to help you decide what school to go to? Any advice? I, I think for me, uh, it's really looking at those percentages of the class. And then also, I guess if the percentages are equal, you could look at the size of the class and just sort of say like how many people yeah. are in the alumni network if every year, 50 people every year after year after year are going into this industry, um, then that's probably a good thing for me versus if it's two people 
from another school. But I think it's more than just employment report. I think you also, the other element of the employment report that you should look at, I should say it's more than just the employment percentages. It's also the element of the employment report that you should look at is the geography as well. So you might go to business school and you might say, oh, I really want to get a job offer at McKinsey. Great. But if you go to, to business school in a certain or you know whatever, if you go to a business school in a certain geography, that regional office might be the one hiring. So if you, you know, you have to look at also where do people end up after business school? There is, I, I did not anticipate while people do spread out after business school, there actually is quite a bit of gravitational pull for the major business schools for people to stay roughly in that area. Uh, it's a pretty big percentage. So if there's a certain part of the the country or the world that specializes in, you know, this is my point with the UCLA USC thing with entertainment, just simply being in the same city <laughs> is going to give you networking opportunities, internship opportunities, project opportunities um, that you're not going to get if you're in, you know, some random, I don't want to, I don't want to pick on another school, but that you're not going to get if yeah. you're in a different geography. So I would look at the percentages, the geography. And then the other thing I would look at that's not in the employment report is the um, looking up the professional clubs, the career-focused clubs, uh, yes. and going to that, to that website and seeing, okay, oh, look, the Entertainment and Media Club here at Columbia and NYU has an annual conference that has hundreds of attendees and look at who the keynote speakers were uh, versus you know, if you go to another school's media and entertainment club website, it's like two people and it was last updated five years ago. And that can be a really good hint to you of how how active is that community for that niche interest of yours uh, within a school. So that's my other data point. Yeah. Caroline, you have any advice for reading employment reports for the purposes of either deciding where to apply or where to go? Yeah, I, I think that um, all of that makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it's important to think about um, whether the program that you're applying to or that you're thinking of accepting is actually going to help you achieve your goals and and get beyond the brand and the reputation and you know where your parents think you should go to business school and and focus on um, you know the long term and whether you're going to um, you know as Maria said whether the the recruiters that you're actually really interested in are recruiting in significant numbers at that school. Um, and whether it's going to enable you to make the, the change or, that you're looking to make or the acceleration that you're looking to make. Um, uh, so, um, and, and then, you know, get beyond the data as well. Talk to people in your target industry who went to that school and, um, you know, and find out more about their experience and how the school supported them with their job search and helped them um, achieve their goals and how the school continues to play a role in their, their careers and their, their life post MBA. So I think, you know, that sort of qualitative input um, from people who know the school really well from the inside is, is just as important, um, if not more important sometimes than that, that, that hard data. Really true. In any case, it's a great market out there. Uh, and as more of these employment reports come out, I think you're going to uh, see even more evidence of that. All right. So all good news. And the Wall Street Journal actually reported good news about the MBA. That's that's news in and of itself. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Maria and Caroline, thank you so much again. And this is John Burns, Sports & Quash. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast.